Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so good to see you all this morning. Before we, we get into our study of the Word of God, let's stand and let's just greet one another in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't move all over the room. Just stand up where you are and turn around and greet those who are with you. All right, let's, let's come back to order. You know, fellowship is one of those gifts that God gives us that glorifies Him and encourages us. So thank you for taking a moment to do that. Welcome to Kickoff Sunday. You know, in the old days, we used to call this Rally Sunday, which meant that we were all going to kind of rally around and get excited about what God was doing. Can you believe the video that we showed a little bit earlier? Wasn't that wonderful? We actually had five mission teams go out this summer. One uh, went, back to, uh, went back to Poland, another went back to Mexico City, then we had Uganda, we had Spain and Morocco, and we also had the Dominican Republic. That is exciting, especially as we come into a new year and we are talking about the ways that God has asked us to share our faith, not only here in San Antonio, but all over the world. It is so good to be able to be in a church where, where people take seriously the mission that we, that we still have work to do as God's people, that there are still people who do not know the truth and the power and the glory and the joy that he brings. And so I'm just so glad that we can celebrate that today, even as we begin our new Sunday school years, our new activity years, all of those things. You know, as I said, it's kickoff Sunday, but not just here. We're also in a transition time from old things to new all over our community. It's the new, uh, new school years are beginning or have already begun. There are people moving into town. All kinds of things are starting. My wife and I just moved our our 18-year-old uh, son up to the University of Texas on this past Friday. Uh, it was exciting. There was a huge banner in burnt orange and white that said, move in week. And, and I didn't realize that for the next four years, I'm going to be subjected to quite so much bovine-related humor. But it was exciting because everybody was there and you could tell that this was new, a new beginning, new students, new classes, new dorms, new relationships, new friends, all of these things. And that's the purpose of Kickoff Sunday, to remember that this is a new, a new season for a life in the church. God is renewing us year by year, day by day. And so we are glad that you're here today. Well, as I said, since this is a new season, we're going to begin a new series We've already started introducing this new series over the last couple of weeks, but it's based on one of the opening verses of the book of Acts, which is one of the verses that we will now read together. Our scripture reading for today comes to us from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. I invite you to read along in your pew Bible or in the bulletin or on the screens behind me, or if you brought your own Bible, of course, you are free to use that as well. Hear now the word of the Lord. So when they, that is the disciples, had come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we know that this is your word, that it is completely true, and that it is given in love. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. The book of Acts is a book of the Bible about the early followers of Jesus and how the Lord empowered this little group of incredible, bold men and women to launch a 2,000-year worldwide movement that changed everything. And they launched that movement, they conducted that movement by telling the story and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. Now this series that we're beginning today will be based on the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. And that verse says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus said, You will be my witnesses. And the title of this new series is simply Witness. Now, what does it mean to be a witness? This fall, we're going to unpack what it means for us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, on some level, we all know what a witness is. A witness is a person who sees something or hears something or experiences something and then testifies or tell, and, and tells or shows others what he or she has seen or heard or discovered. Now, that's what we understand a witness to be. But the word that we actually translate as witness is another word here. The Greek word here that we translate as witness is the word martyr. Please understand what I'm saying here. I don't mean that the word that we tra translate is the word for martyr. I mean it is actually the word martyr. And so understanding that a Christian witness is a martyr, adds a whole new depth of meaning to Jesus' words. A witness is not just someone who is willing to tell what they've seen and is, willing to, and, and is willing to tell what they've heard. A Christian witness, a martyr, is someone who's willing to bet his or her life that what he has seen and heard is true. A martyr is someone who is willing to, get, willing to give his life for the truth of a cause. Someone who is willing to give his or her life to share what he knows. That's what it means to be a Christian witness. And so a witness is someone who has not only seen something, but who thinks that it is so important that he's willing to risk his life to tell other people what he has seen. He's seen something and has to tell other people about it. So let's go back to what we read today. Think about this story. In the last three years prior to this event, the disciples 
had been eyewitnesses to the most amazing events since the creation of the world. They had seen Jesus feed over 5,000 people with nothing but five pieces of bread and two fish. They had seen him walk on water. They had seen him overpower demonic supernatural forces that they themselves could not comprehend. They had seen him exert control over wind and storms and earthquakes. They had seen Jesus not only heal the sick and make the lame walk, but he had even brought his friend Lazarus back to life. And then, in just less than a month and a half, after they'd seen him crucified, excuse me, in just uh, the last month and a half, they had just seen him cru uh, crucified on a Roman cross and then saw him raised alive, body, soul, from the dead. Still the person and the teacher that they knew and loved, but transformed, glorious, and powerful, unlike anything or anyone that they'd ever seen before. All this in the last just few days. But perhaps the most unusual thing they had seen, perhaps the most unusual thing they'd heard is that they heard him declare the truth about love and kindness and compassion and righteousness and grace and forgiveness. They heard him talk about and proclaim and extol those things in a world rife with fear and conquest and greed and cruelty and the constant daily struggle for power and survival. So they had seen all that, and now 40 days later, as, the sun, as if the sun itself was rising to take over the sky for the first time since the dawn of the world, there he rose into heaven to join his Father in heavenly glory. Now you don't see that every day. It's as if Jesus was saying, I'm going to give them one last unbelievable, amazing, incredible thing for them to see and for them to talk about. What an exit. They're going to be talking about this for a long time. And we still are, by my reckoning, some 2,000 years later. But look back a couple of verses. Just before he rose into heaven, he gave his people a job. He said... Your job is to tell people what you have seen. Not just in this moment, but everything that you have seen. And that's what the disciples began to do. They thought that telling people about what they had seen from Jesus, what they'd seen him do, what happened to people around him, they thought that it was so important that they put their lives, they put their freedom, they put everything they had on the line to tell the world what God had done for the world and to tell them, to tell everyone what God had done for them personally. So as we step back from the story for a moment, we might ask, why is this job that Jesus assigned us so important? Why is this call to be a witness so important, to testify about the things that we've seen? Why is this so important? Well, it's important first because this, is the, the part of, this job is the part that we get to play in the redemptive and restorative, life-changing and world-changing work of God. there's another reason as well 
in his book, The Reformed Imperative. One of my mentors, Dr. John Leith, wrote this. He wrote, the task of the Christian witness is to help those who believe to understand how Jesus Christ answers the deepest questions of their lives and makes sense of their experience. To help people who believe to understand how Jesus Christ answers the deepest questions of their lives and makes sense of their experience. At some point, you and I and the people we love are all going to face some kind of crisis that is just bigger than we can handle on our own. Maybe it's a reality crisis. What do I mean by a reality crisis? A crisis, well, one day a person starts to ask questions about the universe, about the soul, about the mysteries of life, and realizes that reality is a lot bigger than we think it is. And we begin to understand that the scientific answers and the, and the modern thought does not necessarily explain what we need explained, and we discover that the unexplainable is explainable only in God. Or maybe it's an identity crisis when we begin to ask, who am I? What am I doing here? Do I even have a purpose or am I just an accident? Does my life matter? Or maybe the crisis might be a crisis of sufficiency. One day you're going to face a challenge and you're going to have to admit that this world and this life is just too big for me. I need help. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the resources. I don't have the power to do what I need to do. I don't have the power to protect those I love or even take care of myself. I can't handle it on my own. I need help. It's called a crisis of sufficiency. Or maybe it's a crisis of morality, a morality crisis. At some point, you and I are going to be faced with a moral question. A question of right and wrong, or love, or ethics, or justice, or compassion. A question of good or evil. We're going to be faced to ask the question, how should I live? What should I do? And we're going to need some direction. Or maybe it's a mortality crisis. What's a mortality crisis? Well, we don't like to think about it. But death is a reality and sooner or later, it is something that we must all face. Death makes us think about God because death is real and scary. What's going to happen to me and what's going to happen to the people I love when we die? At some point, you or someone you love is going to face one or more of these crises. And at that point, we all have to ask ourselves, where will our help come from? At some point, we're all going to have to admit that this world and this life is just too, too big for me, and I don't have all the answers, that I don't have enough power to protect those I love, and I can't handle this on my own. I need help. Someday, life is going to get your attention, and you're going to cry out for help, or someone you love is going to cry out for help, is going to face one or more of these crises, and you know what they need at that moment? They need a bold witness. In that moment, they're going to need someone who is ready to tell them that there is a God who is real and whose promises are bigger than our problems. They're going to need a, someone to tell them that we are God's children, that he cares about us, and that our lives do matter.
We need to hear that when we can't handle this world on our own, we have a God who is with us and we're not alone. We're going to need to tell them and they're going to need to hear that when it starts getting hard to tell the difference between right and wrong, he gives us his law and his truth. And we're going to need someone to step in and tell us that even when this life is over, he offers us eternity with him. And that's when we tell them about Jesus. By sharing our faith, we are helping people to understand how Jesus Christ answers the deepest questions of their lives and makes sense of their experience. In other words, we are connecting their crisis to the Christ. We're connecting their stuff to the Savior. We're connecting their catastrophe to the cross to help them understand that there really is a God who really cares. We tell them about Jesus. Pastor and author Dane Ortland writes that what we see Jesus claim, we see him prove with his actions time and time again. In all four Gospels, what he is, he does. When the leper says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean, Jesus immediately stretches out his hand and touches him with the words, I will be clean. When a group of men brings their paralyzed friend to Jesus, Jesus can't even wait for them to ask what they want. He just says to the man, arise and walk, your sins are forgiven. And over and over again, we see Jesus and we see his compassion coming in waves and waves over and over again, driving him to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to teach the crowds, and to wipe away the tears of the bereaved. And Ortland writes that when we take the Gospels as a whole and consider the composite picture given to us of who Jesus is, the thing that stands out most strongly is that he cares about the struggles and the pain and the brokenness of our lives. Yes, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament hopes and longings. Yes, he is the one whose holiness causes even his friends to fall down in fear. And yes, he is the mighty teacher who put the, the religious PhDs of his time to shame. To diminish any of those things would go against historic orthodoxy. But the thing that we remember Jesus for, the thing that stands out to us, the thing that resonates with us, is that this is the God who cares. He is the holy God who moves towards us, who touches us, who embraces us, who forgives those who least deserve it, and who loves us. Witness is not just telling people religious or historical theological information about Jesus. It is telling them that he is the God who cares. And witness is not just about giving information. It's about understanding and sharing that this truth is personal. Because witness is personal testimony. It's not just telling people who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's telling people who he is and what he's done for me. You know, when I'm not sure of why I'm here, I need Jesus to help me understand my identity. When I'm trying to distinguish the truth of this world from the propaganda of the moment, I trust him to show me reality. 
When the noise of the culture overwhelms me and I haven't got any clarity about what's right and wrong, what is tolerable or intolerable, what is ethical or unethical, I trust him to show me the way of morality. And when I am faced with the big questions of life and death, and I'm scared for myself or the people I love, when I'm afraid of mortality, I trust him for eternity. See, witness isn't just telling people about Jesus. It's about telling people what Jesus Christ has done for you. God became man and got down here in the mud and the blood and the mess and the stress of our lives to prove that he understands us. God became man and gave his body and blood and life on the cross to save us from our sins and to prove how far he is willing to go for you, for me, for us. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead to show us that God is real and to prove that he has the power to make a difference in our lives, both now and forever. And God has made us his witnesses to prove that he has a plan and a purpose for us, that he has a position for you on his team. It's not just about believing that God exists. I trust Jesus Christ because he is the only one who has ever helped me make sense of my life. The good and the bad, the hard and the easy, the painful and the joyful. Through the, through the divorce of my parents and sickness and death and disappointment, the fears and thrills of fatherhood, the rush of unexpected success, the shame of personal brokenness, and the relief of unbelievable blessing. He has shown me that he is faithful, that he loves me, and he can be trusted. But Jesus Christ has not only given us a story to tell. He also said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus is saying, I'm not just sending you out by yourself. You will have the power and presence of God at your back. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to understand what that means. And we're going to talk about the kind of power that the Spirit of God imparts in the story of Acts. But for now, I want you to hear again Jesus' promise of the Great Commission. Jesus not only promised that the Holy Spirit would be with us, he said, Behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. The power of our witness does not come from something in us. It comes from the presence of God the Holy Spirit. Our strength is supernatural. And when we are fueled by the presence of God and the conviction of His truth and the confidence of His love, He can make us capable of things that we would never dare to consider. You know, a few weeks ago, I made a really obnoxious pun. I said that when you hear the word, Behold, Remember that God be holding you. That he is holding you. You are being held in your salvation and in your mission. In the, in the Father's power and grace. Everything I believe and everything I trust for my life and for the people I love, I trust because I believe that God is holding me. Behold that God is real and that he is with you until the end of the age. Behold who he is and then be held in the palm of his hand. 
knowing that He will not let you go and that by His Holy Spirit, He will empower you to go forth as His witness. Don't be a bystander. Be a witness. Witness is not the righteous telling the unrighteous how they must straighten up and save themselves. It's about the broken telling other broken people what Jesus did for me. A friend of mine, Dr. David Singh, has said this, that faith sharing is simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Witness starts with telling people how Jesus Christ makes a difference in your life. And then claiming that that is a difference worth sharing. Because if he can make a difference in our lives, he can make a difference in their lives too. Let us pray. Lord, you have called us to be your witnesses and you have empowered us by your Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to understand that we are held in the palm of your hand, that you have given us a purpose, but more importantly, you've given us your presence so that we may go and continue this worldwide, world-changing movement that has brought peace, that has brought truth, and brought hope, not just to the world, but to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.